KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington, it's the Northwest Now podcast. Each week, we take a closer look at the people and issues that affect all of us here in Western Washington. So sit back, relax, and join the conversation with your host, Tom Lason. Six die in a horrible crash near the port of Tacoma. Just one in an endless stream of car crashes easily found all over the web from dash cam recordings. The mayhem is unreal. Sometimes accidents, sometimes thousand horsepower supercars racing in traffic for money all night long. All within the context of increasing lawlessness as so-called sideshows take over the streets in Tacoma, Seattle, and all across the nation. Tonight, we discuss the numbers with the State Patrol and the Traffic Safety Commission showing fatal accidents are getting more frequent with no end in sight. And Steve Kiggins with the story of a mother who lost a child now calling for a new focus on traffic safety. If you've asked what in the heck is going on out there, so is everybody else. And that's the discussion next on Northwest Now. Doing 10 over in decent conditions is one thing, but some of the absolute reckless, situationally unaware, unpredictable, and downright hostile driving we see out there now is something entirely different, and it's showing up in the numbers. The Washington Traffic Safety Commission's dashboard has all the data right there in black and white, and the news is not good. The upward trend in fatal crashes has been going on for a long time, but in the past few years, the curve has zoomed upward with 750 people dying last year. This year, as of the last report at the end of July, 413 people died on the state's roadways, which could put us on track for the deadliest year since 1990. That's before stricter DUI laws and before all the new technology in cars. When you really ring out the data, the State Patrol and the Traffic Safety Commission have urged drivers to think about the so-called fatal four. Driving impaired, driving distracted, driving fast, and believe it or not, driving unseatbelted. But the experts think that in the past few years, there's something more going on and figuring out exactly what that is has been elusive. It might have something to do with the pandemic, but again, exactly how that made the roads more dangerous isn't exactly known. What is known is that every traffic death robs a family of a loved one. And as Steve Kiggins tells us, it's a pain that just never really goes away. I miss his little face. I miss him so much. I miss all that he could have been. I miss, I miss all that he would have done. Amber Wheeler from Parkland carries a pain no parent should bear. We're just here to have a vigil and remember. Nearly 100 gathered at 134th Street South and Pacific Avenue South in Pierce County in late November, holding candles and vigil for Amber's 13-year-old son. It happened back in late 2022 in July when 13-year-old Michael and a buddy activated this lighted crosswalk across SR7. Michael's pal crossed unscathed, but Michael was hit and killed by a driver. This candlelight vigil held nearly 18 months after Michael's passing, honoring traffic violence victims during the World Day of Remembrance. This is a busy, busy four-lane road, and just watching his friends cross it tonight, I, I, my heart skips a beat every time I see them start to walk. I, I can't imagine that people use this every day and there's so many near misses and there's so many other 
people who have been hit in similar crosswalks. We now fights relentlessly for pedestrians and cyclist safety since her son's death. Seen here praising a slew of bills meant to save lives. Michael will not get to benefit from the changes and improvements of the streets in our community. However, the people he loved will. The tragedy that took her son and changed her life forever is only blocks away from the front door. But she now sees it as a new pathway that makes transportation safe for all. I know what happened here, but I also try to help make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. Reporting in Parkland, Steve Kiggins, Northwest Now. Joining us now are Washington Traffic Safety Commission External Relations Director Mark McKechnie and Washington State Patrol Trooper and Public Information Officer John Ditello. Traffic safety in some ways is kind of one of those day in day out stories with the constant drumbeat of accidents and television news um, stories that last 30 seconds. But this issue that we're talking about really stands out, which is why I wanted to have you both in. We are going back in time, back into a time before there was great technology in cars, back into a time before it was 0.08 for a, a DUI level, um, back into the battle days of the 80s and the 70s and the 60s when um, traffic fatalities were brutal and frequent, we seem to be going in the wrong direction. So my first question is a very broad one to you. Mark, I want to start with you. Uh, what is your, I guess, 30,000 foot analysis of what in the heck is going on out there? Sure. So the, the same things that have been killing people on our roads before are killing people today. We're just seeing more of it. So people are driving uh, too fast. Uh, we have still have too many impaired drivers on our roads. Um, there's a small number of people who still refuse to wear their seatbelts, and those are the ones who are most likely to be killed when a collision happens. And uh, cell phones did come along and distracted people. Fortunately, Washington's uh, distracted driving law has helped curb that. That's, that's actually the one bright spot that we've seen is that fatal crashes involving distraction have gone down while speed, uh, impairment, and lack of seatbelt use as a factor in fatal crashes have gone up. I showed this in the intro coming into this segment. I wanna remind people again, um, Traffic Safety Commission has a really good dashboard. I mean, if you wanna break this out any six ways to Sunday, you can see every cause, every contributing factor. I mean, you really have a lot of data there. Um, talk a little bit about that. So exactly, you can, you can actually spend a lot of time, which I, I do, and, and one of the, the main things to keep in mind is um, these are not accidents. There are clear causes that are preventable, and I think the dashboard helps people understand that because you can see that around half of crashes, fatal crashes involve an impaired driver. About a third involve a speeding driver. And unfortunately, the lack of seatbelt use has gone down and, and fatalities have gone up in those crashes. Um, but when you, when you start stripping things away, if we, if we could uh, stop people driving impaired, if we could get people to drive the speed limit, if we could keep people from using their phones and just simply buckle up, we would dramatically reduce the fatalities on our roads to close to zero, which is our goal. Yeah, so there aren't many levers that would really have to be pulled to have a dramatic impact on things when you take a look at the numbers. John, same question to you. As a PIO, you're out there on the highways all day, every day, and on Twitter and everything else with the kind of this constant drumbeat of accidents that happens that I'm sure over time kind of washes over you and you maybe even have to become a little numb to it. But I want you to step back too and, and 
you're probably dealing with an accident rate that your predecessor two times removed was maybe in 1985 or 1990 when it comes to fatalities and some of these things that you're seeing. What do you attribute it to? What's your 30,000 foot picture of this? As for attributions, you know, it, I haven't been along long, alive long enough to really speak to that. Uh, but what Mark said is absolutely right. We're seeing more people speeding on the roadways. We're seeing more DUIs out there. Uh, as to why that is, I couldn't really tell. But for, for the aspect of the job, you know, these, these fatality crashes, they're, they're so high profile now because of social media, because we have so much more technology that can get that information out there, which has made the, the job more interesting, not just for me as the person who's managing that, but for the, the troopers on the road. You know, they're, they're under the microscope constantly, mm -hmm. and not just troopers, all officers on the road. And so when we arrive on the scene of these crashes, you know, it, it can become difficult to, to process those in our own ways because we know that we're being watched. Yeah, um, and especially and, as you're seeing more fatal and more serious injuries. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, over the summer we had one of the deadliest crashes in the last 20 years right here in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And talking to the troopers that are on scene, talking to the command staff there, the DOT staff, everyone there understood the gravity of that and trying to process that at the same time as knowing that there's there's drones in the air, there's news cameras on scene. You know, the, the amount of publicity that that kind of event receives now is, is unfathomable. Yeah, yeah, so you got pressure on both sides of the job there. Yeah. You both mentioned impairment. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about marijuana. Do you see, has that become a greater problem? Is legalization um, added to some of the problem here that we're seeing on the highways. I know you can go down the road and smell it. Um, you know, it's with alcohol, you really can't, but you sure as heck can with marijuana. I've experienced it. I think everybody who's driven on the roads has. Um, what's your take on that, um, breaking marijuana out? So first, alcohol is still number one in okay. terms of impairing substances. Cannabis is number two. The, the most frequent um, impaired driver, though, it has polysubstance impairment. Uh -huh. And the two most common substances are alcohol and cannabis. So certainly that combination is very problematic. Uh, but just over half of impaired drivers involved in fatal crashes are impaired by alcohol, and just under half have uh, cannabis impairment. And the, the most common uh, driver has both. Mm -hmm. um, so. It's definitely a factor. Um, I think you know we need to deal with cannabis more seriously than than we have. I, I think there are, it's less easy to um, detect, and also the the effects on different people vary more than than alcohol, which is also a challenge. Um, so I think the the main message is if you're using either of those things, let alone both together, don't drive. I mean, yeah. that's a clear choice. And that, that's one of the things that we really want to impress upon people is uh, we're not saying don't use legal substances if you're an adult who can make that decision, but just make the choice not to drive. And if you need to get somewhere, uh, arrange some other way to get there than driving yourself. John, what are you seeing out there on the streets when it comes to marijuana? Are people still telling you, hey man, I just smoked some dope. It's not, I wasn't drinking or anything. Do, they, do you think folks really understand that that is also a, a um, impairing substance and that they're as aware of it or is it still kind of new and they don't really put it into the same box with with alcohol when it comes to driving what are your thoughts on that uh, thankfully from what I've seen from what I've talked to other people what they've seen people understand that that marijuana is an impairing substance that's the primary reason for its use 
Um, <laughs> that is true, yeah. <laughs> what, what we've seen, and when I started my career in, in 2015 to now is a complete shift in how law enforcement has to view marijuana. Because we went from essentially a zero tolerance policy to then mar medical marijuana was permissible. And now that recreational use is legal here in the state of Washington, if a law enforcement officer approaches the vehicle and they smell marijuana in the car, it's no longer like, oh, someone's going to probably get arrested out of this vehicle. It's now a much more lengthy investigation, similar to your, your normal alcohol DUI. It just takes so much longer to determine whether or not someone's impaired by marijuana. Yeah, because you, you have the breathalyzer with alcohol. What do, you, do you have the tools that you need for marijuana, or are you waiting someday for something like a breathalyzer to come along that's kind of a, a magic tool that will help, help gauge that? Where's, what's the state of technology, and what do you need? So state, state of technology at this point, luckily the standardized field sobriety tests that we've been using for decades, they still play a very important role. They still help us accurately determine whether or not someone is impaired by any sort of intoxicant. That's alcohol, that's illegal drugs, that's marijuana. It allows us to determine whether or not someone's physical ability to process their body, process their driving experience is impaired. So that hasn't changed at all. Um, the the field breathalyzer, the PBT as we call it, is great for determining whether or not someone has consumed alcohol, but in reality, that's really primarily what we use it for. You know, the, the number for us, it doesn't really play a part in our investigation. It does, but it, for legal reasons, you know, there, there's not a lot that we can do with it. It just tells us, oh, we, we see these clues, we know that you're impaired, now we can tell whether or not that's primarily through alcohol or through some sort of other substance. Right. Um, and with marijuana specifically, there's no technology that we possess as a state patrol uh, to be able to do that kind of testing roadside. What we have to do is we apply for a search warrant through a judge and then we're, we draw their blood and then it takes the months that it, the, to go through the process with the toxicology labs here in the Washington and to get that result yeah. that we can finally send to the prosecutors. Here's another tough one. Um, for you, but I still want your take on it. And that is what I would call our state of rage. Um, do you think COVID and, and I've always said too, you know, um, happiness is the difference between expectations and your reality. And I think a lot of people, I kind of get the feeling are disappointed in their lives for whatever reason, they're angry. And I feel like there's a lot of rage out on the roads. Um, how big of a, how big of a factor does short temper what did you just do to me? Flipping somebody the bird, cussing under your breath. We've all done it. Um, what role does that play in, in, in accidents and in facilitating accidents? And it may not be in your statistics, but I'm just wondering, um, Mark, what your take is on that. So we don't call them accidents. accidents. We call them crashes because they're not accidental. Um, but, you know, I, I would describe it as impatience. Uh, and one of the things that we saw at the beginning of this increase when most people were sheltering in place and things were shut down, the people that were on the roads were driving extremely fast. The one type of citation that increased significantly in that early stage of COVID was people driving 40 or more miles yes. over the speed limit. Yep. And so there's, I think there is the, the reptile brain that kicks in when somebody uh, has, a, has a car that can go fast and, and people are in their way and they want to be able to go faster. So I, you know, whether you call it rage or I, I tend to think of it as impatience, people see other people in their way as the barrier to getting where they wanna go when yeah. they wanna go. I think there's also a huge misunderstanding about 
how much faster you can get someplace by speeding. Yeah. Um, because we, we have traffic, we have signals. Um, I don't know how many times I've been passed by somebody only to end up either right behind them or right next to them at the next intersection, right? right? Because, so they're, they're maybe shaving a few seconds off their trip. And I think there's a lack of education understanding about how much uh, time you're gonna save by going 10 or more over this miles over the speed limit. It, yeah. it just, our roads are not going to allow that. And I think by recognizing that it's, it's liberating, um, you can, kind of sit back and enjoy the, the drive at going the speed limit. I think the other thing that's really important to understand about people traveling at high rates of speed is that your vision narrows. The, more, the faster you're going, the more your brain narrows your vision straight ahead. So you're, you can't pay attention, you can't drive fast and pay attention to the periphery at the same time. So not only are you going too fast to stop or um, or maneuver quickly, but you're you're frankly not seeing nearly as much that's happening on the road, and that's why speed is such right. a, a huge risk on our roads. So this isn't supposed to be Tom's complaint section to the WSP, John, but I'm. <laughs> here's the flip side of that. I have no problem. Well, I I would say I have I have questions about setting up radar during the commute to pop somebody going 63 in a 55. Um, I'm not sure based on what I'm seeing on the roads, like I was telling you before the program started, I was passed at 100 miles an hour yesterday. I think there's the don't speed, um, you know, keep your speed limit within reason kind of approach to things. And then this really aggressive, unpredictable, on the face of it, felonious, dangerous, reckless, insane driving that we all see out there. High speed passes, crazy weaving making bonsai moves on on other people out on the streets and it's as you well know a lot of cars with expired registrations um, a lot of cars without insurance a lot of cars um, custom customized with no visible visible means of support that you know have 800 to a thousand horsepower in them to me um, I think and the people watching this program want to know is that an emphasis or, or is the Washington State Patrol aware of those cats it's not a bunch of 63s and 55s. It's some actual nut jobs out there. What is your thought about that when it comes to road rage, impatience, and unpredictability? Um, is the patrol aware of that? Do you look out for that? Absolutely, we're aware of it. Uh, like Mark said, during COVID, we saw a huge spike in excessive speed. You know, not just your average 15 to 20 yes. over. That's, I would say, it's not large, good. The average trooper is looking for yeah. someone who's 15 to 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Because at that point, the flow of traffic, you know, most cars on the roadway, I hate to admit it, are going over the speed limit, especially on I-5, just before rush hour, just after rush hour. People have a little bit of freedom, and they're going to speed. We're looking for those cars that really stand out. Like you said, the guy who was going 100 miles an hour past yeah. you. Um, the unfortunate reality, we, has, we have less troopers on the road now than we did five years ago. And so we're having to shift what we're looking for and we're handling more calls for service than, than we were five years ago. There's, there's more stuff put on each trooper every single day. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to go out and be proactive and look for cars like that, it, it's less. Our, our time window has, has narrowed down significantly with the amount of work that's put on us. And yeah. we go out and we do it every day, we do it happily, and we wanna make sure that we're making a difference every single day. Um, but in reality, we can't catch everyone. So the, t the time that you have to basically just be in traffic, not necessarily trying to get, get the mom with two kids in the car who's going six over, but waiting for that absolute kook 
to come by you or to observe them doing something else crazy in an intersection. That the time that you have for that has been reduced. Yeah, and in reality, a lot of times, you know, we can we can choose a place to sit, we can go out and patrol. We know that the best use of our time is on the shoulder with lights on, allowing people to see us contacting people. Because mm -hmm. it has what we call that halo effect. People drive like angels when they're around a, a marked patrol car. Yeah. And when there's a, a marked patrol Almost car on the shoulder. Almost dangerously so sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When people see a marked patrol car on the shoulder, it, it triggers that thing, that, that reptile brain. Like, I might get in trouble for doing something now. There's mm -hmm. cops on the road. And so our goal is to make contacts. Our goal is to be proactive. Um, in the time that we do have, like I said, the, the number of crashes in general has gone up, not just the fatality crashes. The number of crashes we're handling on the road has gone up. The number of calls for service, the disabled vehicles, the, the pedestrians, all of that, it's, it's, it's going up now. And so all of these troopers who, who would have normally been proactive out on the freeways, out on the state routes and highways, they're now responding to those calls for service. And so we yeah. don't have as much opportunity as we used to to be visible. Yeah, and I always thought that, you know, cruising in an unmarked vehicle, looking for those expired tags, you know, just running th somebody through once in warrants just to see, and waiting for that guy to come by and make a two-lane bonsai pass at 100 miles an hour, I always thought that was a very productive use of a trooper's time. But I hear your point, though, that there's so much other stuff, they really don't have that time to just go out and see what they see, because that's where those kooks start showing up. Yeah. What can the average person do about this? Um, I want you both to answer this question, Mark. Um, you know, we all see nuts out on the road, and I'll ask you about that, about what the state patrol wants us to do. I know you don't want us pursuing them. <laughs> but, but, Mark, what do you want folks to do or to be aware of to try to have some kind of an impact on this problem? Everybody thinks they're a great driver, and yet here we are. So, so to kind of recap, there are four things that people can do to drive their risk of dying almost to zero drive sober, drive the speed limit, buckle up, and keep the phone and other distractions away. Crash, virtually all crashes have at least one of those things that, that end up fatal. So uh, speed, again, is um, it's simple physics. The faster uh, people are traveling, the, the greater the force of a collision. So driving 25 versus 50 makes a huge difference in terms of the force if, if two uh, people collide. It makes a huge difference for pedestrians. That's one thing that we're really um, concerned about. We saw an all-time high number of pedestrians die on Washington roads in 2021. Fortunately, we saw a slight decrease, but it's still the second highest uh, number in history. And speed, is reducing our speeds around bicyclists and pedestrians is yeah. one of the, the most important things that people can do. That's why we're um, giving local jurisdictions, the legislature has given local jurisdictions more authority to lower speed limits, um, especially in those areas where those um, pedestrians and bicyclists are. Um, they've authorized more automated speed enforcement, as we just talked about. Law enforcement can't be everywhere all the time. Yeah. Automated enforcement is used much more extensively in other countries. It's really there to supplement um, what the troopers and the sheriffs and the patrol officers can do. Um, to it's that it's like having a patrol yeah. car that, there every day and having that effect because they find that people really slow down when they know that those cameras are there and they don't reoffend when they when they get a ticket. Um, so those are you know, 
it, it seems so simple, but yeah. every, everybody needs to, to do their part. Last 30 seconds, uh, John, what do you want folks to do, drivers to do? Of course, I want to get right on the call on my cell phone and say, hey, I'm, pres I'm pursuing a, a 2004 Acura um, down the freeway. I know you don't want us doing that. Short, of, the, <laughs> short of that, what can the average person do to have an impact? Don't engage. <laughs> Uh, I reiterate what Mark said. Those four things are the top contributors in fatality crashes by far. It's somewhere around 98% of fatal crashes have one of those four contributors involved in them. Yeah. Um, aside from that, what you were talking about, the aggressive driving, don't engage. Call it in, let us know. If someone's in the area, if someone's able to, we'll do our best to track it down. But ultimately, when it comes to road rage, when it comes to those circumstances, yeah. it takes two to tango. A lot of danger. If you take one person out of it, it's just one guy driving down the roadway dangerously. Yeah. And we don't want you to endanger yourself. Both of you, uh, Mark and John, thanks so much for coming in and having this conversation. Let's hope we can turn things around here in the post-COVID area. Maybe people will cool down, drive predictably, drive within reason. That would be a nice thing. We can hope. We can hope. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. I confess I get a little cynical when I see allegedly understaffed law enforcement camped on the side of the road with radar pulling average people over during their commute to their jobs. The bottom line, that has nothing to do with some of the absolute recklessness we're seeing on the state's highways. And law enforcement is going to have to retune its radar to dial in on the unpredictable, the hostile, the impaired, and the over-the-top reckless driving that we're all observing. I wish them the best of luck.